Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Seek First Podcast. I'm Rick Brown. We talk about everything here, life, seeking God, biblical truth, today's culture, and whatever is on my guest's radar to unpack. We want to understand what is happening around us. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First podcast. Thanks, everybody. Let's jump in. My name is Elijah Swartz. I'm the youth director here at God Speak. Pastor Rick had the fun idea to give Dominic an opportunity to share his testimony. Dominic works with me in the youth ministry, and it's been a blast. Just, I think, how long have you been here? A year? Like, almost a year. It's, it's been full of love, of God, of goodness, and difficulty. It's been crazy. It's been so fun. Just the precious, unforeseeable moments that we get to experience as the staff here at God Speak, it's, it's, just, a, it's just a joy. I love serving here. I love serving at this church. Serving Christ is not going to be easy, especially now. Serving Christ in this time, being loud about what we believe and why we believe it, having a boldness to speak into other people's lives. We come here and we meet together because the Bible tells us not to forsake fellowship. It tells us get together, be encouraged. I would look forward to Wednesday and Thursday night every single week when we have youth group, just hanging out with these kids, seeing God move in their lives. It's a treasure. It's honestly amazing. We have Dominic coming up. He's going to share with you guys his testimony. Please welcome him up. So how many of you guys actually care about the Super Bowl? Or am I going to get, like, tomatoes tossed at me for talking about it up here? Okay, so raise your hand if you care about the Super Bowl. Okay, it's a good amount. How many of you guys think the Bengals are going to win? Okay, it's pretty good. How many of you guys think that Isaac is going to be crying tomorrow? Yeah, I, I agree with that one, and I might actually be watching the Super Bowl with Isaac, so if, I, if the Bengals lose, I'll make sure I get his reaction, and if he's crying, I'll post it on social media and make sure all you guys see it. Um, but no, on a real note, a lot of people sometimes, they, they hate on me or they don't like that I like sports so much, and the reason I brought up the Super Bowl is kind of a cool story. Who feels like the Lord sometimes does like little things to know, like to show you that he's with you. Yeah. So a cool thing about the Super Bowl is about four years ago was actually the day that I got saved. It was on the Super Bowl morning. And not only was it the day that I got saved, but it was the first time that the Philadelphia Eagles ever won a Super Bowl in history. And yeah, I'm an Eagles fan. But for our culture, it was something that was like, we're like, dude, the Eagles are never going to win. And anyone who watches football, they know that. But our whole team was Christians, and even when they won, they brought up Jesus Christ. But not only that, up three years later, which is a year ago today, well, a year ago on Super Bowl Sunday, my pastor, Pastor Ken Graves, do you guys know who that is, any of you? Pastor Ken Graves from Bangor, Maine. He actually gave me the opportunity to teach. He gave me the pulpit that day. And so the Lord showed me that time. He's like, I'm with you, right? It's exactly three years since you've been saved. And I got the pulpit, and I was able to preach in confidence, and it was an awesome thing. And now, again, I don't think it's any coincidence that the Saturday before the Super Bowl, I'm actually able to share my testimony again and speak in front of you guys for the first time. But we don't have a lot of time because Elijah and I are both speaking, so I'm going to just jump right into my story. Um, basically, my story is I was a sinner just like all of you guys. I had worse sinner problems than most people, but by the Lord's grace, he was able to save me from that. Um, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in a bad area. I was born in a city called Camden, New Jersey, which at one time was one of the most dangerous cities in America and also the most poverty-stricken area in America. 
And so I grew up about 10, 15 minutes away from there. And the town that I grew up in, if you looked at it, you'd be like, oh, this is a nice town. But it was really like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside it looked good, but on the inside there was a ton of drugs. There was a ton of, there was not a ton of murders, but there was murders. There was drug dealing, all these things throughout this town. So at a young age, like, I grew up with a single mom, and I didn't have a father in my life to really protect me. My mom was actually a drinker. She got sober right before I was born. My dad was a drug addict, and to this day he's still a drug addict, so you can be praying for him. His name's Dom Sr. But I grew up without a father figure in my life, without someone to protect me and really keep me out of trouble. So naturally, I went to the streets, and in the town I grew up in, it was like no coincidence that all the kids there also didn't have fathers. And statistically, it shows that if you have a kid that hangs out with other kids that don't have a father, they're 10 times more likely to end up in jail or on drugs. And so eventually that's what would happen to me. At first I grew up as a good kid in elementary school. My mom actually took me to church. She went through AA and that's where she was kind of introduced to Christ. And um, she would read me the Bible when I was a kid. She taught me basically the basics of it. And I would say that I was a Christian that I knew Jesus when I was younger. But looking back at the actions that I had made, I would say that I never really knew him. But looking back through my story, I can see that the whole time, Jesus had his hand on my, on my life. And he protected me through all the evil things that I would go through. And so I'm good through elementary school. It wasn't until I got into middle school that a lot of sin started to entice me. In about seventh grade, I started smoking weed. And immediately after I started smoking weed, I started selling weed because I grew up poor. I grew up with a single mom. At one point, she's embarrassed when I say this, so if she don't see, uh, see this, but she was only making $16,000 a year to raise a family. And like, I know you guys make good money around here, so I know you know that's not a lot. And so, like, they wouldn't even give us, like, help for, for lunch food for me. Like, we were kind of, so we were kind of poor growing up. And so I just wanted to, I sold weed to not only have money to, to smoke the weed, but because it hurt me to really have to ask my mom for money. So, like, in, in my mind, I justified selling weed and so I was doing that for a little while. But when you sell weed, you have to change the people that you hang around. So I started hanging out with people who were also selling heroin, who were also selling pills, who were also fighting, stealing, all those types of things. And so I was a good kid who played sports, good grades in school, and then all of a sudden now I'm thrown into a whole different element. And so I'm hanging out with these kids, and eventually it just starts progressing over time. I start getting the pills, I start messing with Molly, and all these different things, and um, fast forward a couple years, I'm still selling, and I had basically just a really bad year. So I had a single mom, and the person who really helped me my whole life and, and helped me grow and watch me was my grandma. And my grandma was the person that I loved more than in anybody in life. And so she had beat lung cancer, she had beat heart attacks, she had beat a bunch of different things, and I didn't expect to lose her. And when she died, I was about 14 or 15, it really devastated me. And the only way I knew how to take that pain away was with drugs. So I had access to these things called Percocets. I start taking them. And the whole time I really noticed from the beginning and I had this hole in my heart. And I just felt empty all the time. And I had anxiety and I had depression. I'm like, the only thing that helps me is if I take these pills. If I take these pills. So I'm taking these Percocets. I'm still selling drugs. And by the end of this year, I actually, when I was selling, my house got raided. They kicked in the door, they arrested me and my buddy. Mind you, I'm 15, 16 years old. They kick in our door, they have M16s, and I got arrested. Luckily, I was a juvenile, so I didn't go to jail, but they put me on probation. And right after that, I was so depressed that I, I was suicidal. I actually wanted to kill myself. And so, 
this one guy that I was selling weed to, he sold heroin, and I went to him like, hey, let me get a bag, let me get another bag, let me get another bag. And that was the first time I used heroin, and I actually fell out, woke up a couple hours later, no one called the cops, nothing, and I should have been dead that day. And pretty much from that point forward, it was off to the races. And so, looking back, after I got arrested, they put me on probation, and obviously when you're on probation, you can't do drugs, so they would drug test me, and um, I went in there, and I'm, now I'm a full-blown heroin addict. So they're like, you can't do this. We're going to have to send you away. So this is my junior year in high school. My junior year of high school, I get sent to a program that's four months. So I missed the first half. They're telling me things like 12 steps to counseling, and they're telling you, like, you're an awesome person. Like, you're so good. You should have self-confidence. All these things that, like, the Bible doesn't tell us, right? The Bible tells us to be humble, that on the inside we're rotten. Like, we need God to make us worthy. It's his blood. And so, all these things weren't helping me. And the four months was up, and by the time I got out, I'm like, okay, I won't, I won't do these drugs this time. I'll just smoke weed. I'll just drink. And that lasted literally one month. By the end of the month, I was full-blown heroin addict again. And they're like, you're either going back to another program or you're going to jail. So I went to another program. So I went there for four months. This time I'm in there, I'm like, just the weight of the world on my shoulders of condemnation, just hating myself. I'm like, how am I doing this to my mom again? How am I doing it to this ex-girlfriend that I was with at the time? How am I doing this to my whole family again? But no matter how much I thought about that, I had no power in my life to be able to get over it. And so I kind of sulked. I'm like, all right, this time I'm not going to sell drugs. I'm not going to smoke weed. I'm not going to do anything when I get out. I'm going to do the meetings like they said. And so that's what happened. I got out. I was doing good for a little while. And then... All of a sudden, like, I relapsed, and I started doing heroin again. And I missed probably half of my senior year of high school. But somehow, by the grace of God, I was able to stay sober for a couple months, make up the work, graduate high school. But by the end of that, right after I graduated, I went on the worst, worst run of my life. And Isaac, you can bring up the first picture. So this is what I looked like. I don't know if you guys can see that well. But this time, I'm a full-blown heroin addict. And this run had gotten me so bad that I told everybody in my life that, like, I'm done trying. Like, I tried the different programs. I tried the meetings. I tried the counseling. I tried everything that the world had to offer, right? But the world doesn't offer Jesus. So I tried all these different things. I had that emptiness inside me. I had that hole in my heart. I'm trying to fill those things with it, sex, money, drugs, whatever it is. At the end of the night, when I'm sleeping on my mattress, head on the pillow, I hate myself. What is, the point of, what is the point of living? There's no meaning to this life. And so I was tired of hurting my family, and I actually ended up becoming homeless in that city, Camden, New Jersey, at the age of 18. And while I was homeless in Camden, I was broken and humbled more than I ever had been in my whole life. I was 18 years old, holding up a panhandling sign on the corner of the street, like trying to make money. No one gives you money there. Like I was lying, saying I was a veteran, like, just all types of stuff that, like, just more condemnation, you know? And um, literally at the worst point, I was sleeping in a burnt-out abandoned house on one couch cushion about the size of the top of this pulpit, curled up on one cushion. And, man, I was just, I was done with life. And winter was coming around. I was like, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to end it. I'm either going to jump off a bridge or I'm going to do drugs and I'm going to overdose. And... Um, I started looking back on my story, 
And I just was looking at how the Lord provided for me and my mom, even though we didn't make that much money. I started hearing about how, remembering how Jesus died for my sins and how he can forgive me. And I remember telling God, I'm like, if you can do anything with my life, because I can't. I was like, if you can do anything with my life, then you can have it, right? And so I went to the Lord, I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord intervened in a crazy way. I ended up getting a really bad infection in my hand that actually almost killed me. And I was ripping and running for like another couple weeks. And then Isaac, you can go to the next picture. I ended up actually in the hospital. And mind you, when I started doing heroin, this is when fentanyl was introduced to the streets. So I've lost more friends than I can count at this point. And by this point, I had overdosed about seven times. I actually overdosed behind the, the wheel of a car and somehow totaled it in the back of a tractor trailer and got out with just a scratch on my face. So when I get to heaven, my guardian angel's probably gonna wanna fight. But um, <laughs> yeah, so right here, I go to the hospital, I'm in there, and they're like, we gotta put you on IV antibiotics. This infection's so bad, they can kill you. I'm like, all right, well, the real truth is I went in there and I left a couple times because I'm still trying to manipulate everything. I'm still trying to leave, go get high so I'm not sick anymore and then come back. Because even the painkillers they were giving me, which is which the strongest painkillers they would give anyone, was not enough for me because I'm doing the strongest drugs in the world. Like I really believe that came in New Jersey, had one of the strongest drugs in America. And so I'm doing it, I'm not feeling better and I leave a couple times and then I'm like, this is how broken I need to be, this is how humble I need to be. So I finally come back and I'm, and I'm like, you gotta be honest with them, you gotta tell them you're a drug addict. So I told them and they started putting me on this stuff to help me wean me off. And I say all that to say is that the Lord really used this infection in my hand to put me in the hospital to put me on these drugs to help wean me off so I could get a clear mind and realize what I was doing with my life. And while I was in the hospital, my aunt, she actually is a Christian. She's the one who actually really led my mom to the Lord. She's the one who prayed for me and led me to the Lord when I was younger, when I actually never followed Christ, who brought me to church all the time, told me about the Bible all the time. Her actual ministry in church was to go and pray for sick people at the hospital. So she came to the hospital she gave me a Bible, she prayed for me, and she said, there's this place in Maine I want you to go to. And meanwhile, there I had a best friend, and that part of the story is way longer, I don't have that much time to tell you, but I had a best, a best friend to this day that was there who prayed with my aunt. They put me on a prayer board up in a, in a um, place in Maine, and I ended up going up there, and you can show the next picture. So my aunt came to visit me, she told me about this program. It's Pastor Ken Gray's program, I'm sure you guys have heard him talk about it. But this program in Maine is a discipleship program. It's not a standard addiction program. The whole program is wrapped around the word of God. And this was the first time that that emptiness had finally went away. When I went there, I got saved on the Super Bowl. I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I finally had a purpose in life. And I remember the verses of the Bible that changed my life is, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. And that was something that the world can never teach you, right? They can give you antidepressants and anxiety medicine, of course I'm not bashing those, but for me it just didn't work, right? I needed Jesus Christ to forgive me, and that was the only way I was able ever to forgive myself. So I went to Maine, and then I went through the year program there, and I stayed there and I did a school ministry program, and the coolest part of the story is, is I guess how I ended up here. It came full circle, I came out with Pastor Ken and I traveled here and he was doing a men's conference 
And I met Pastor Rob, and we were out to dinner, and I was telling um, Danny, his son, my story. And I guess Pastor Rob overheard it, and he was like, well, we're going to have Ken on our show on the Fireside Chat. You guys know what that is, right? And he's like, why don't you come on and tell your story? And I was like, awesome. So I told my story just like I did today. And right there on the spot, Pastor Rob was like, if it's possible, we want to get you out here. And so I'm here now. (laughs) Fast forward a year. It took a while. But a way to really wrap this full circle, because it's kind of like a youth takeover. All these things that happened to me, like can you go back to the... um, the one slide, the first slide, where I look terrible. <laughs> a little bit less bad than, I mean, a little bit more bad than Elijah looks. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, so just like the thoughts in my head, like hating myself and just completely not wanting to live anymore. Like, and mind you, I'm, I'm 16 or 17 years old. And when I look at these kids and I look at the music that they're listening to, and I look at the movies that they're, they're watching, and I'm not bashing any parents right now, I'm just saying, like, every parent is like, my kid will never be like that. Every kid, when the dare, dare people come to your school and tell you about drugs, they're like, oh, I'll never be that kid. I was that kid. I was like, I'll never smoke weed, started smoking weed. I'll never do pills, started doing pills. I'll never do heroin, I ended up on heroin. And I'm not saying that's gonna happen to your kid. I'm saying that when I see some of these kids, I have a heart for them, I have a burden for them. And I believe the Lord gave me this story for a reason, to be able to reach into their life and warn them, hopefully they're not as stubborn-headed as I was, and warn them, like, what's to come if you guys do not follow Christ, if you guys do not get on the right path. And so when I look at some of these kids, I see, like, the swag they got and the, and the charm they got and all that. It's real funny now, but it, it just reminds me of myself, and I, and I love each and every one of them. All the kids that are here today, I would die for them in a second. I would fight for them. I would do whatever. And um, I just want to say, if you know anybody in your life that's struggling with addiction or you think your kids are or anything like that, I'll be up at the front. I'm willing to pray with anyone or talk to anyone about that. Thank you, guys. I've seen the light in the darkness. I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, 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 whoa. And I won't worry about tomorrow or fear in times of trouble. I keep my heart seeking. I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, oh, 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 when that day draws near, when my dark is Your kingdom comes and your will is 
times of trouble I'll keep my heart seeking you I will keep my heart seeking